Chapter 14 of The Fairy Spinning Wheel and the Tales It Spun. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Nienaber. The Fairy Spinning Wheel and the Tales It Spun by Catul Mendez. Translated by Thomas Jandry Vivian. 1885-1925. Chapter 14. Lord Roland's Grief Once upon a time it happened that Lord Roland, while returning from fighting against the Moors, was told a dreadful story by a shepherd. The knight had halted for a minute in a rocky pass of the Pyrenees to give his horse a rest, and the story told by the shepherd was that not far from where they had met there lived an enchanter who was hated by all the countryside for his cruelty and tyranny. On hearing this, Roland's horse pricked up its ears, shook its mane, and was ready to gallop away, for it knew that, generally speaking, its noble master allowed but little time to pass between hearing of such ill-doers and going to punish them. But the knight was particularly patient that day, and asked the shepherd a number of curious questions. In reply he learned many strange things. The wicked magician, he was told, lived in a castle near the sea, and made a daily practice of killing all travelers who passed that way, of laying waste the fields, setting fire to the villages, of murdering the old men and carrying away the children. He had overthrown all the knights and warriors who had sought to put an end to his barbarous practices, and he had caused the bravest of them to bite the dust nor were those who wished to escape able to do so. All along in front of the castle, on each side which rolled in a furious sea, there were enormous heaps of bones gnawed bare by the wild beasts and bleached by the rains, while a huge flock of ravens all the time floated and sailed about the top of the tower like a black flag. Roland could not forbear smiling when he heard of these terrible things. The idea that a wicked sorcerer could have overthrown so many valiant knights, encased as they were in steel and with lance or sword in hand, was simply absurd. Either the shepherd did not know what he was talking about, or else those who had defied the magician of the castle were cowards, unworthy the name of knights, or perhaps young pages playing at fighting. "'My lord,' said the shepherd, "'it is not because of his courage that the enchanter is able to overthrow all his enemies?' "'Why is it, then?' asked Roland. "'It is,' replied the shepherd, "'because by his infernal science he has invented a weapon, the like of which was never seen before, a weapon which can kill at a distance without danger to the one using it.' "'What's that?' inquired Roland with surprise. "'It is just as I tell you,' replied the shepherd. "'He takes good care never to come down into the plain to meet his enemies. "'For well he knows that even were his breast covered with bronze, "'some spear would instantly find entrance there. "'He keeps himself hidden behind his walls, "'or behind those heaps of bleached bones, "'and then from this hiding-place there comes a sharp noise, "'a flame leaps out, "'and before one has time to say the shortest prayer, "'the poor knight falls to the ground "'with a ghastly wound in his throat or head.' 
Now, by St. George, cried the nephew of Charlemagne, I never yet have heard of such a cowardly way of fighting. Truly it is fortunate that I have halted in this desert place, for by to-morrow, if the saints lend me their aid and the castle is not too far off, I shall have properly punished this wretch. But tell me frankly what sort of thing is this diabolical weapon?' Well, said the shepherd, they tell me that it is made of a moderately long tube, at one end of which a piece of saltpetre is set fire to, while from the other end there rushes out a little ball of some metal, which cleaves through the air and goes straight to its mark with all the quickness of lightning. Roland stayed to hear no more, but gathering the reins together he gripped the saddle with his knees until the armor creaked, while the horse with flying mane went galloping towards the sea. Roland, however, kept his head bowed down all during the ride. It hurt him to think that he should have to soil his sword with the blood of a coward, and for the first time in his life he went into a fight without pleasure. The sunset clouds lay red upon the sea when the castle came into view, and one might have believed that the horizon was crimsoned with the blood of all the crimes that had been committed in this terrible place. Roland halted, looking at the horrible habitation towards which a flock of croaking birds was slowly flying. He sought out a path amidst the bones which lay all around, but could find none. So thick and numerous were the human remains that it was impossible to reach the castle without walking on death. "'Ah, noble warriors!' exclaimed Roland. "'Come here from all parts of the world to meet this miserable enchanter. You who have been cowardly struck down at a distance by a miserable adversary, how I mourn and honor you!' and how I suffer to hear your unburied bones being crunched beneath my horse's hoofs. As he thought of these things, a fierce anger arose in his heart, and the duty of avenging his comrades took possession of him like a fury. With his famous sword, Durandel, firmly grasped in his hand, he spurred on his horse and galloped across the bone-strewn plain. As he did so, a flame suddenly shot out from between the stones of the castle. There was a loud noise which rolled and rumbled in echoes amid the hills, while something went whistling by the chevalier's ear. The sorcerer had used his treacherous invention, but he had not the opportunity to use it a second time. Leaping from his horse, Roland threw himself against the great castle door, which creaked and cracked, and then crashed heavily inward, pulling down a mass of stones and mortar in its fall. Just inside the knight saw the magician, and, seizing him by the throat, Lord Roland strangled him until he spat out his soul in a curse, and tumbled in a heap on the pavement beside his useless weapon. Just at this moment the ravens flew away from the castle, while the setting sun illumined the tall tower from dungeon to parapet, as though the black flag had at last been replaced by a golden banner. Roland smiled at first as he looked down upon the dead enchanter, but soon the smile faded away, and pushing the corpse to one side with his foot, he stooped, 
picked up the wonderful weapon and examined it. As the shepherd had said, it was a tube with two openings. By one of them death went in, and by the other death came out. Lord Roland looked at it long and sadly. When night had quite come, Roland walked to the sea. A boat lay there, and entering it, he broke the rope, seized the oars in his strong hands, and pulled out to the open sea, while the polished steel of his armor glittered in the starlight with every movement of his body. Where was he going? What voyage was he thus undertaking in the shadows? Weary of battles, had he determined to rest in one of those miraculous islands where beautiful fairies employ themselves in fanning sleeping nights with broad green leaves? Or, having heard of some piece of injustice done underneath some faraway sky, had he resolved to go there and clear the land of lies and meanness with his keen sword? He had set out to do none of these things. He was simply going to complete the work of the day. The enchanter was dead, and the castle, toppled over, lay in ruins like an enormous monument to the many brave knights who had been so treacherously slain. All this had been done, but it was not enough. This cowardly weapon by which an enemy could strike from afar must also be destroyed must be cast away where no one would ever be able to find it. He had at first decided to break it into fragments, but then he thought that some wicked creature might gather up the pieces and make another weapon out of these, or with these as a model. Then he thought about burying it, but the fear that someone might chance to dig it up again stood in the way of doing this. At last he came to the conclusion that the surest way to dispose of it was to throw it into the sea, far out, and when the night hid him from everyone. And this was why he pulled out towards the open ocean. When he was a long way from the shore, and when he was certain that he could no longer be seen, when indeed he could see nothing except the dark stretch of sea and sky, he stood up seized the diabolical weapon in his hands, and then whirled it around and sent it whizzing into the sea, where it sank out of sight. But even then he was pensive and sad, and as he stood balancing himself to the easy movement of the boat, his huge stature showing white beneath the stars, he thought of many things. He thought that some day or other, be the time near or far off, men would surely invent other weapons, just like that which he had been so careful to throw into the sea. He thought of the combats in which he had joyously taken part, of lances broken in the shock of charging steeds, of the clash of swords, of struggles chest to chest, of red wounds close to the hands of those who inflicted them. He thought of these things, and then, as in a gloomy vision, he saw a new and strange warfare, where the struggle was carried on from a distance, where those who struck could not see those they struck at, where the most cowardly could kill the bravest, and where chance ruled everything in the midst of smoke and clamor.
thinking of these things and looking sadly at his sword durandel roland wept until the tear-drops fell down one by one on the gleaming steel of the blade a weapon whose day like that of knighthood itself he foresaw would surely pass away end of chapter 14